you can unlock more cash than you realize from your home's equity with a cash out refinance today. In the last year, average home values have gone up nearly 20%. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can unlock thousands in less than three weeks. But you've got to act right now before rates go up. So when you're looking to unlock the cash in your home, Rocket can. Call 8338-ROCKET today or go to rocketmortgage.com to get started. Rocket. Rates current as a 12-12-21. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. Anomalous consumer access. Number 3030. Call 800 490 for disclosures and cost information. With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 50. Mojo 50. We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm your host, Sam Sorbo, here at Mojo50.com and also available podcasting on MikeOnline.com, which is uh, thanks to Salem Media and Mike Gallagher's show. So if you go over to MikeOnline.com, you can get all the previous episodes of the Sam Sorbo Show. Today, we're going to talk about how journalists are now mocking the United States and really the state of the media uh, I have a special guest to talk to us about that. The New York Times is blaming evangelical Christians. Spain is now uh, a hotbed for the coronavirus. And um, and uh, let's see, the overarching message of today's show, don't panic. Don't panic. We will get through all of this, uh, and we will be better for it. And uh, that was the message that uh, President Trump gave us over the weekend as well. And so... Uh, my guest with me is Ken LaCourt. He's the founder of LaCourt News. The motto is news unspun, talk uncensored. I've known Ken for a while. He comes out of uh, Fox News, and obviously he's on to bigger and better things. Welcome to the program. There you are. Are you there? I am indeed. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Sorry about that. Okay, so tell me something. What is with the media these days? They just hate us. <laughs> you know, um, uh, it's... It, it seems that way. I mean, I mean, most of their fire is is aimed at the president, and I think the rest of us are are not in not consequential to them. Um, the the way that so many journalists and, and you know Twitter can be just such a such a weird place because you can see what these people think. You know, watching them being so almost almost thrilled that the United States had more coronavirus cases than any other country was was just a bizarre thing thing to look at. Now. Now, of course, math-wise, I mean, we're the third largest country in the world. Math-wise, we're like the 20th per capita on that. And when it comes to deaths right now, there's only a handful of com- countries that have done a really, really good job who got hit by this when you say, gee, how many people died per million? And it was like us, Germany, South Korea, a handful of companies, countries had done very well. But, you know, they use their math when it works for them and when it's not. When the president came out and said, we did more testing than anybody, they said, well, not per capita, you didn't. Right. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it is bizarre to see, you know, we, we, I hate to use the, the term so often, you know, you're anti-American. But this is clearly anti-American sentiment coming out from so many in our national media. In fact, on last Thursday, the New York Times reported that in the United States, at least 81,000 people are known to have been infected with the coronavirus, including more than 1,000 deaths, more cases than China, Italy, or any other country has, has seen. But come on, we're not talking about the same. We're not comparing apples to apples. And in fact, yeah, uh, I mean, you... sorry, Julia Ioff uh, for GQ magazine said, who's the... S-H-I-T whole country now. 
Like, like, na 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 na. Now we're the crap hole country. Like, really? Could you imagine being so, so tied up over that that, that something the president said three years ago that you like use coronavirus deaths and infection rates to like slam slam on what the president said three years ago? It's just, it's almost mind-bogglingly crazy. On that. But it's almost like, well, here's the thing. I mean, we saw. Uh, Gosh, a couple of years back after Donald Trump was elected, that a lot of the Democrats were hoping for a recession because they thought that it would damage him. Yeah, you know, and they, they kind of joked about it sometime. I mean, you know, certainly Bill Maher would, you know, I mean, he was, I don't know if he was joking or not. But, you know, you, you have a hard time finding the humor sometimes when, they, when, when the humor people talk. But no, you know, whether they were actively rooting for that or whether they were just saying, like, this, this might be the only way that we can get rid of Trump Hitler. And, and it's worth it. I mean, I mean, to a large degree, I think a lot of the media really in their mind have built him up to be this, this burgeoning, this burgeoning person who's going to take over America and, and not give up the presidency and, and, and all that craziness. And, and they project themselves as, as the last people standing between, you know, a fascist United States and things. So therefore the rule don't matter. Therefore, they can they can spin those things. They can stop being kind of what we thought of journalists growing up, and, mm. and even into the last handful of years, they're they're saviors of us in their head. But they but here's the thing: he can't win because um, first he didn't first first he acted too precipitously, and then he didn't act fast enough, and then he didn't put in. Uh, and then first he was going to be. Um, Hitler and he's a tyrant and he's a despot and he's a megalomaniac and then he didn't put in enough drastic measures and he didn't take over the country to the degree that they thought that he would have and it's he just can't win no I mean look even in this this instance here with this uh, with this virus is a terrific example of it I mean when he didn't go crazy at the beginning he was like look we've got this don't worry about it he doesn't care and then right. when he said, you know, it's getting pretty bad in there. We're going to stop flights coming in from China. Then it was like, well, you're a racist and you're a xenophobe. <laughs> uh, and then it just kept popping back and forth. I mean, you know, look, the, the president says stuff, you know, that, that is sometimes easy to pick apart. So they'll, they'll say, we have 15 cases here and we're never going to get any more. Okay, well, you know, or he'll say, tomorrow you can, everybody can get a test in America. And, you know, he's got some of that salesman talk going on. And but they take it and and they they zap it to eleven or twelve on on, on the one to ten scale and they go nuts on it and and you know it, in a weird way it has it has this spinning around effect of I think making him stronger. Um, I actually think he became president because he figured out how to play the press like that. Oh, for sure. But he was held to task um, over the weekend for having said that he thought that by Easter. And somebody said, you know, you said that by Easter and you were wrong or, you know, basically. And he's like, no, they no, all, no. They all went up Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us. No, you, you, you were going to say he, he never said that. I mean, I mean, I, I thought he said, you know, gee, I, I'd sure hope I'd sure hope that by Easter we're back up and going. And literally like Time Magazine's headline was president contemplating defying medical experts. And that was their headline on that. Um, all, New York Times did a similar thing, you know, defying defying expert opinion. Uh, uh, Trump wants country open by uh, you know by by Easter. I mean, it was just uh, uh, you know a, a nut thing. Now look, he, 
he sometimes offers up things to them. And when he went up to that one reporter yesterday for kind of saying what he said on the 30,000 ventilators versus something else. I mean, he always gives them a little bit of ammunition where they can go after him, but they never can just stick to those things. They, they always have to have to just turn it into something well beyond what anybody saw. Yeah. And, and the fact is, he, he actually defended himself, which he doesn't typically do. But he said, I was trying to be optimistic, he, he, and I'm misquoting, but he said something like, I was trying to be optimistic. I'm, I'm allowed to say that I'm hopeful. Don't try to twist yeah. my words. He, you know, and he, and, 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 you know in, in that instance, that's literally what he said was, gee, I hope I can get things open. And, you know, he went after that one guy last Friday or something, and I, and I, and I think he was right because, you know, the guy went from, you know, you were overly optimistic on this drug that uh, we don't know if it's going to work. And, you know, and, 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 and if you watched him, he, he said what a, what a person would say. He's like, I don't know if it's going to work. I hope it does. I think it is. I, right. I feel good about it. But, but you know, we'll see. And then they turn that into, well, somebody drank fish cleaner, so you killed him. Right. And uh, <laughs> and then when, and then when they finally, like, you know, people are afraid. And, they, you know, he, he just knew he couldn't win for losing. If he comes out and says, look, we got this. We're going to. You know, we're going to we're going to we're going to win this, you know, like what a leader would say. They hit him for being locally optimistic. It, you know, it's, it, it, it's just kind of mind boggling to actually see people deep down. You think they're rooting for a virus instead of the president of the United States. And, and so let's talk about that for a minute, because it's true. It basically doesn't matter what he does. They have a they have a point of view. They have a worldview. And mm-hmm. he fits, he fits as, you know, the, the nefarious, uh, negative, demonic element in that worldview. And so whatever he does is seen through that lens. So, you know, if, if I say, wow, he's been so proactive, the answer is not, not proactive enough. Uh, you know, and if I say, wow, he really, you know, he should have done more. Oh, be, that's because he's a dictator. You know, like, where do yeah. we're, no, you're 100% right. we're so partisan at this point, Ken, what do we do? How do we yeah. walk and, that back? And you know, and, and it's, it's weird because the people who watch other channels, the people who sit and watch MSNBC and CNN all day, they have such a different impression of, of, of what's going on. Of, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I hear people saying, Oh my gosh, he did nothing for two months. Blah, blah, blah. It's like they have this kind of thing that they spin out there that, they're a hundred percent convinced that if, if they had a different president that you wouldn't have this. And, and it's so for us, we, we see it and we roll our eyes and we know what we but for, you know, 8% of America, they're buying this and it's, it's actually being very effective and it's, and it's kind of disappointing. Well, and it's based on, it's based on several lies. Of course, they would say that my opinions or my views are based on lies as well, but, uh, you know, and it, at at some point we wonder. Well, hold on. Th- so then, what is the truth? Like, if I look at the timeline, I know that he instituted the ban on Chinese flights on January thirty first. What were the What were the right. Democrats doing? They were still busy impeaching him. They were not paying attention at yeah. all to the virus. They were actually they scoffed you know, at him for for doing the flight thing from China. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you can kind of pick apart words he said where, you know, he said we'd be in a certain place and we weren't. But it's like, you know, three weeks after that, Nancy Pelosi was was giving a tour to Chinatown telling people, hey, come down here to eat. It's, uh, you know, the, these guys, they're, they're, their businesses are being hurt. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, had he, can you imagine if 
if President Trump had given a tour in Chinatown three weeks after that, and it, this was like second or third week of, I think it was February right. 24. Right. Uh, you know, that, that would have been the, that would have been the thing that we heard for the next six months is how he encouraged people to do that. And then, and then uh, the news media, know, the, the media won't cover that. They don't want to make Pelosi look bad. Yeah. But you know, they're going to have a hard time. I mean, I mean, so it's like, you look at the, you look at it, Joe Biden did a similar thing. I mean, I mean, he, his reaction after after the United States restricted flights coming in from China was to talk about xenophobia multiple times. Uh, oh, but Joe Biden, he's owned by the Chinese. Come on, let's face it. His son did a did a billion plus dollar deal with the Chinese. He went over there to yeah, negotiate with them not to not to build their military bases in the middle of the Ch- South China Sea. And he negotiated so well that they built more military bases in the South China Sea. <laughs> well, I, I know his I know his son was dragging along on a lot of those countries and uh, and, and picking picking up big scraps off, off off the floor when they were done with things. Like I mean, if that. it but, uh, quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, I don't know. I think it's a duck, or it's a Chinese emissary disguised as Joe Biden. But even Joe Biden wouldn't agree to say that Donald Trump had blood on his hands because of the way he's, quote, mishandled this this virus thing. Chuck Todd tried to get him to say, oh, yeah, uh, Donald Trump has blood on his hands. Even even Joe Biden wouldn't go that far. You know, I missed that interview. So so did, did, Todd, did, did Todd use those words? And yes. What, what, what was that? Oh, no. Todd used those words. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's. Uh, like it's gonna, I mean, look, with all of this said, with all of, of, of us saying, oh my gosh, can you believe that the national news media is doing these things? You know, a lot, enough people are, are, are getting by that Trump's ratings are up, which, you know, people are actually tuning in. And I think a big part of that is, is people are tuning in and watching these, these, uh, these press conferences that he's done, which of course is probably the reason why Rachel Maddow and the Washington Post and others are, are arguing that they should take these off, off the air. I mean, you see that that's, that's the uh, that's that's the mantra as well. He's lying so many times at these at these daily press conferences that they shouldn't they shouldn't push them live. You should just let him do that and then let us interpret what he told you. So 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 we can we can fix his lies. I mean, right. That's, that's the basic thought. I'm gonna. Um, and sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was finished. Well, I was just saying. I mean, I've got the Chuck Todd interview. It, he literally said, "Do you think there is blood?" You know. Let me see if I can play it here. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, your campaign put out your, in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could he could cost lives. Do you think there's already do you think there is blood on the president's hands considering the slow response or is that too, too harsh of a criticism? I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's happening is the failure to as I watched uh, a prelim to your show. OK, that's enough. Uh, do you think there's blood on the you, you heard that, right? Yeah, I, n- I never yeah. know how well my tech is working. I think that's a little too yeah, hard, she says. <laughs> well, and here's well, the thing. Look, I mean, hit, Trump acted Trump, right? faster than anybody else, basically, in the United States with the shutdown of flights from China. But they won't they won't remember that far back because they they because yeah, they ridiculed no. him for that. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, again, as, 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 it's, uh, you can't win for losing kinds of things. And now, and now they're like, well, but actually, and, and they might be right. I, I think that he said that on the 31st, and we didn't implement it till the fourth. But, the, but the, 
that the Italians did it first. And so, because they actually shut down flights, I guess, on the 31st or first or something. So now it's like, well, he's saying he did, you know, the game of gotcha is, is, is very, you know, it's, it's kind of what the press does all the time. But, but in an instance like this, it just, you roll your eyes a lot, a lot more at it. I, I don't know if you've been watching those, those press conferences. You know, some of them are asking very interesting and, and good questions, and others are just playing the, you know, I'm going to try to screw you up and make you look like a fool. Yeah. And, and that gets really old when you're, when you're, you know, it's fine when we're, when we're arguing about the, the typical stuff in life, but when it's something like this where, where you know, they're talking lives and, and, and life and death decisions and, you know, making decisions that will affect, you know, millions of lives one way or another. You say, I'm going to put two more weeks of social distancing. You know, you're guaranteeing that millions of people are still going to be unemployed. Uh, on the other hand, if you say, let's only do that for a week or four days, well, then you know that, that death tolls are going to come up because people are going to go back to, to you know, to, to getting higher infections. So, I mean, you know, these are tricky, tough things. And then to see the press, you know, playing their same old, you know, you said three, it was only four type, type game. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's something else. So, Ken LaCourt, head of LaCourt News, LaCourtNews.com. What do you guys do over there? So, you know, our, our big thing, I worked at Fox for many, many years and, and, and ran the .com there. And, and a lot of it, of what we do is just kind of pointing out those stories that you're going to see that, that, that you're not going to see if you watch the mainstream media and, and kind of having these discussions that we're having right here is, is you know, literally in the past handful of years in life, the media's gone from kind of, you know, we always knew they were liberal. I mean, and, and I've got a love-hate relationship. I mean, I mean, if, if it wasn't for liberal media bias, Fox never would have existed. You know, that bought my house. That bought my cars. Um, the concept of, of them, of, of, you know, CNN and, and others pretending to be centrist, but, but really kind of being out there. It's really gotten off the rails, though, in the last four or five, six years. It, it, it really preceded preceded Donald Trump as, as, as president. So we keep a tight eye on, on that. I keep a very close eye on, on, on what I think is the next place for conservatives to really fight. I mean, look, we're starting to win this battle, right? And, and Trump was a huge, was a huge factor in this, just calling out fake news, calling out all, all of this stuff. And, and the average, certainly the average Republican kind of now gets it, even if they don't know exactly how it's done they know that, that they're being misled by the names that they grew up with that they trusted, mm. names like NBC and the New York Times. But that tried kind of shifting as, as, as we're starting to be more, more um, is that starting to be more obvious to at least half of America? The, uh, the online censorship stuff is, is starting to really get worse. And, and, and that's, that, that's creeping in and becoming more and more substantive on, on that. The, the concept of, of banning people and entities from reporting facts um, um, on, you know, what used to be the Wild West of, 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 of the Internet is, is now becoming a much different place. And, and, you know, I've been banned off of Facebook. I had three and a half million followers on, on, on our Facebook pages and still can't get a straight answer out of Facebook why they did it. I have some ideas that they were misled, ironically enough, by the New York Times on, on some things. Mm. And can't even get an audience there. You know, you're executed without a uh, without a trial. Off or, with his head. Uh, a discussion. Yeah, it's the Queen of Hearts. And, and yeah, that that 
that knocked down 95% of my income when that happened uh, at the end of last year. And this is happening kind of routine. Um, you know, one, one big site, Zero Hedge, was, was going out and saying, you know, we don't think that, that this, this virus started at this market. We think it shockingly happened at the, you know, the level four bio lab that, that China has a few miles away. Right. The only place in China where they were studying things like coronavirus was in a lab just a couple miles away from where they say that, that this, this thing popped out. Now, I don't think it was intentionally done or whatnot, but I think there's a huge chance that it was it accidentally leaked out of that lab, like like SARS did, or MERS, I think, right before in, in China. And and Zero Hedge does a story on that, and and uh, but they, they made the mistake of saying, well, here's, here's one Chinese researcher, and here's this person's contact information, and they had 750,000 followers on Twitter, and they were smoked the next day because it was considered doxing. Um, that's happening more and more, and, and we're going to need to start calling them out, and we're going to need to start fighting back in the way that, you know, in the in the way that the left has done pretty effectively. But using some different tactics, but really really going after these social media companies, and if that means bringing in politics, if that means you know doing doing a lot to to hold their feet to the fire to be fair, um, you know, that, that, that we're going to need to do a lot, lot more of that as, as conservatives. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's an uphill battle also because Google controls the searches to a large degree. Yeah. Like, now that, that's the, out of, out of everything that I've seen online, that's the scariest if they start screwing up with that. And it's the one that they have been, I think, pretty careful on that. Um, uh, what they definitely play around with is, is the autocomplete. You notice that all the time. Right. It's, it's, you know, it, when, you, when you go and you start typing, that different things will come up than, than you expected. Suggesting. Um, the, the, uh, it's the, the law of suggestion. And the, and there have been studies about the law of suggestion. And my goodness, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and we very see some powerful. And the videos of them right after the last campaign, you know, in, I was going to say virtually in tears, but literally in tears because the president's a, because the president won and, you know, their supposed one great one was, was Google was doing something to get uh, more Hispanics to vote. And of course they can say, well, this is, this isn't a partisan issue. This is we're we're trying to get people to, to, to participate in, in the democratic process. That's, right. not, that's not partisan, but then they freaked out because like 35% of, of Hispanics voted for Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> and they couldn't understand, you know, they couldn't understand how this guy who obviously hates Mexicans, uh, 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 that happened. And see the meeting afterwards where they were like, you know, that it belied everything that they, they did on that project, certainly. And, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, look, that, that's the way that we all get our information there, whether it's by search, whether it's by talking to each other on, on the social medias. You know, I, I, I even I even had Google saying that we're going to take, well, they did take the ads off. When we reported the name of the, of Eric Charmella, the, the so-called whistleblower, um, I hope this isn't going down on YouTube. Is this a YouTube thing? Uh, no. Okay, good. Because when I mentioned his name on my YouTube, those videos got taken down. I got taken down off of off of Facebook, and and Google uh, said that they would pull ads off of, off of those pages to give you just a rough idea of how they all do that. Weirdly, in that one, Twitter was okay. I don't know why. Well, they don't call each other all the time, but they are kind of a clique. They're like a high school clique, and if you don't belong, then you're on the outs. You know, and you know, and it's, and it's so. So the left had one tactic that 
just isn't working as well. And that's the call you were right. Um, um, that was, you know, that is something that, that they, that's just one of the tools in the, in the political right. toolbox for, right. for Democrats. Right. And, and Trump drove them wild because he just, yeah, and, and to a lesser extent, excessive. But, but Trump drove them wild because they tried to pop that on him left. You know, in 1986, he wrote a book that said blacks had to work harder. Or, right. or in 1990, he and his dad were sued. But I mean, it was, it was kind of all of those things. And he just bounced off with that so much that, that I think that was one of the reasons why they came to this other tool, which is, which is censorship. And you know, it, it's, not, it's not just that. It's, it's also that for the past 10 years in schools, They've, they've been, when you and I were growing up, they told us not to do drugs, right? That was the big thing. Was, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Now the big thing is don't bully. Don't bully. And the corollary to that, and, and at my kid's school you know, five, seven years ago, they, they'd have an anti-bullying, uh, uh, you know, the big convention, uh, uh, the big, uh, the big right. school meeting. The every, conferences, every yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that there's a direct corollary also with that to, well, the opposite of being a bully is a victim. And, and victimhood is now often you know, raised to an elevated status. And how do you stop people from bullying? Well, you stop them from saying mean things. And, and that's why when you look at like kind of studies done of college students and say, you know, well, does the First Amendment protect hate speech? You know, majority of them say no, whatever hate speech means. Well, those you know, high school and college students, well, they're now, they're now vice presidents at Twitter and, and Google. And, mm-hmm. and they're now having their, their hands on the, the lock and key that can stop people from saying things. There was, there was just in this latest thing, there was one doctor who I was following. He was fantastic. He was, he was you know, giving good ground level things on, on, on coronavirus and his, his, his practice. I mean, he was a pediatrician who kind of then just jumped into this as, as they stopped most of their, you know, most of their, the routine patient visits. And he also didn't, didn't follow along with, with the, oh my gosh, in a week, the, you know, the, the, the medical services here will be completely overwhelmed. I mean, he was kind of in their face a little bit about that. And he just disappeared off of Twitter. And I can't, I mean, you know, it, 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 that his account has been shut down. And it's like, I can't figure out why, because, because they are so effective at just shutting down that speech, whatever that was. I'm trying to figure out this way. Well, there's a little bit of good news. The top hospital executive has just been fired after saying that Trump supporters with COVID-19 should give up ventilators and die. <laughs> you think they you think they think that one through? That one through a little bit better. Now, it's 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 a little it's a little wacky when you when you're looking at the world like that. Could you imagine? And she was a top, you know, she was, she was one of their top executives and it was a public as she played. And she put so, it I mean, on I, Facebook. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, part of me says we're firing people for too many silly little, I mean, like, like a guy who just got zapped from Fox. Um, um, yeah, Reagan, uh, uh, Trish Regan. Uh, Tr- Trish Regan. Uh, I mean, you know, I couldn't, I, I didn't read the whole thing. That she I said, tell you, but, I, I watched the rant. It wasn't a rant. And it actually wasn't that bad, and and she intimated yeah. that that people that people were making more of the coronavirus to suit their ends to damage the president, which we know is true. <laughs> it's like yeah, I mean, that, that that you know again, it's like I read the thing first. The headline on whatever mainstream story would be, you know, she called coronavirus the hoax to to impeach the president again. I'm like, yeah, I don't think she did that, and I never saw any. 
any statement that she had made that was like kind of that over the top. But that, that was disappointing. I mean, I mean, Fox, Fox is, um, you know, conservatives are very, very, very worried about that because it's, you know, it's, on TV, it is literally the only, you know, it, it, it's, it's the only well in a, in a, in, in a vast, dry, hot desert. Right. And if that dries yeah. up, they got nothing. Exactly. I, mean, you know, I guess and, and, and some of the little ones that are kind of not ready for prime time. Yeah. But, um, you know, conservatives need to build up. We, we need to have more voices than one TV channel. We do. And some, and some ra- and radio. I mean, radio was kind of the ghetto that, that, that conservatives found, and that, that, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> Did you just put me in the ghetto? Why would you do that to me? <laughs> I'm not in the ghetto. I'm in my closet. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, man, we were, we've been banned off of everything except AM radio. And then but they the good AM news radio is, but Ken, the good news is the truth will out and people are realizing the truth and they can lie themselves silly. They can lie all day long, but the truth is there. So they're not going to cover Trump anymore. People will then turn to Fox News and say, well, I'll just go watch him on Fox News and, and have at it. And I love that the, that well, the I, president just yeah. adheres to the truth. And so you ask him one of these loaded questions. He says, don't, don't do that. He just calls him out on yeah. it. And yeah, he loses his temper a little bit. Honestly, he, he shows remarkable restraint. So listen, this has been great, but I've got to go. <laughs> I love chatting with you, Ken LaCourt. So people should go to LaCourtNews.com for more information. That'd be terrific. Yeah. And, and call me anytime. I, I certainly enjoyed chatting and uh, we'll have to find something to disagree with next time. Yeah, exactly. It'll be more fun. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. That was fun. Uh, yeah. This, this um, top hospital executive, she actually said she's from, uh, her name's Laura Krolchik. Well, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Roswell Park Comprehensive's Cancer Center's now former vice president for external affairs, like she's actually in charge of dealing with the public. She wrote, Trump supporters need to pledge to give up their ventilators for someone else and not go to the hospital. She said they should, quote, barricade themselves, quote, inside churches to ride out the coronavirus. Also, don't cash your stimulus check. It's all a hoax. Chew some ibuprofen and be on with your day. Incidentally, I've read, if I remember correctly, that ibuprofen exacerbates the effects of the virus, if I remember correctly, which I think is what she's sort of referring to. Like, make it worse on yourself and go do your thing. Initially, they placed her on administrative leave, but she was later terminated. And they, t- they, they came out with a statement that she was terminated. She was paid $226,000 in 2019. She did previously work for uh, Hillary Clinton and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Remember Kirsten Gillibrand? She's like this, this nice little uh, petite blonde woman who had this very evil streak <laughs> that you don't realize until you hear her talk for a little bit longer than you go, oh, man, that's downright evil. Like, she's got some evil in her. I'm just saying. Uh, so they issued a statement, this behavior is not tolerated at Roswell Park. If any team members act in a way that does not accord with that commitment, their their core mission, right? They take swift and appropriate action. Well, you put her on administrative leave first, but you know what? You made up for it. 
this is somebody in the healthcare, you know, the healthcare industry. First, do no harm, right? That's the that's sort of the motto. First, do no harm. Ridiculous. So there's that. And then there's this from the New York Times. The religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. We have a hostility to science? That's according to you. We think you have a hostility to science because you believe in global warming, which is not scientifically provable. And and I, I should say anthropogenic global warming, human-caused global warming, is not scientifically provable. And you believe in evolution, also not scientifically provable. I'm just saying, just so we can be clear. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm going to take this phone call because my phone, my computer is going crazy. It's unbelievable. Sorry about that, folks. That was wild. But it is my next guest calling in. So uh, let's bring them on, shall we? Mike Petrelli is the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. He's a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution and the executive editor of Education Next. And so we welcome him to the program. We're talking about about education. Uh, Welcome welcome to the show, Michael Petrelli. Petrilli. Oh, my gosh. And he's, for some reason, not connected. So give me just a second. Here we go. Now, I think that you're on air. Try again, Mike. All right. Oh, hey, great he to be on with you. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay. If you want to learn more, by the way, I'll just get this out of the way. TempletonPress.org. TempletonPress.org. And you you must know that education is like my my soft spot. Not my soft spot. What My hard spot. My, <laughs> I don't know what you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, How to Educate an American is a series of essays. So let's talk about that. But but can we give it a coronavirus spin? We got all of of these all of these families who are now called on to home educate and they feel completely inadequate because they've been taught in our public schools that they can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I, we, I, my family is one of those families. We we are doing it right now. I hear mommy school going on upstairs as as we speak. So fantastic! Uh, look, we are we are living this absolutely. Yeah, look, it is a uh, what what a time we are living through. And uh, you know, I think this this challenge that families are facing is is very real. You know, a lot of us uh, kind of jumped in with some enthusiasm a couple weeks ago when this first happened, and I think the reality is is setting in that that this is. This is challenging. And of course, uh, schools all over the country are trying to figure out what they can do from afar as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's it, you know, the, the worrying thing is that there's going to be a lot of kids out there, especially uh, low-income kids and struggling families that uh, are probably not going to be learning a whole lot over the next couple of months. And uh, we're going to have some big challenges on our hands going forward. See, I think the, I think the opposite. I think they're going to be learning a whole lot because I think the parents are going to step up and say, yeah. okay, let's learn this. And here's the thing. So 60% of our workforce, uh, 60% of our jobs require sales. We don't teach sales anywhere along K through 12 and, and not really in college, if you think about it. So, mm-hmm. so how are we college prep career readiness, it, it, frankly, right. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. talk to well, me about, sorry, talk to me about how to educate an American. You've, you've assembled this collection of essays 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's How to Educate an American, the Conservative Vision for Tomorrow's Schools. Tell me about it. Yeah, so the idea with this book is that uh, many of us involved in education reform have been working on this, this issue for decades now. We've made some progress here and there. You know, there's a lot more parental choice than there used to be in our system. Uh, and student achievement for the lowest performing kids has come up. Uh, it has stalled more recently, but it came up a lot in the 2000s and, and a little bit before that. But recently, it feels like things have really stalled. Partly that's, that's because it of the up? politics. Has it come up or has the, the national average just sort of gone down? To meet it. Well, you got to look at these different groups. So for the lowest performing kids, who mostly are the lowest income kids, there was huge progress in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And, and so this good news gets covered. You know, those kids are now doing two or three grade levels better than their peers were back in the early 90s. So there was progress. And it happened around the same time that we instituted the standards and testing and accountability systems. And also that, that charter schools especially expanded dramatically. Uh, and, of course, the booming economy back in the 90s, which feels so far ago now, but that had a huge impact on, on reducing child poverty rates. So all those things helped. And, uh, and so the, the lowest performing kids were doing a lot better. Now, the kids at the middle and at the top, it's been pretty flat for a long, long time. Uh, but what was interesting in this book is that we, we asked these uh, writers, intellectuals, people who are not education wonks per se, but people who think about the future of our country and where we're heading and, and ask them, where should we go next? They were not very interested in talking about college and career readiness or these basic skills in reading, writing, math, like so many of us are. They really got to some more fundamental issues about how to educate an American, about how are we teaching U.S. history and civics, about what kind of character uh, are we teaching, about uh, discipline and uh, making sure that students understand what it means to have dignity uh, regardless of their career path. So some, some wonderful essays in here, uh, really getting at some issues that get far beyond the technocratic stuff that a lot of us focus on. Well, and, and between you and me, the reason that we focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic is because that's what we were taught education was. And so I'm grateful that you've put together some other views about education because initially our public education system was in a sense conceived, I know not by everybody, but initially in a sense it was conceived to educate people, children on virtue because, because the founders recognized that if you didn't have virtue, then there were no, there was no amount of laws that could hold a, a country together. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're willing to lie, cheat, and steal, then the law's not going to keep you honest. And so mm-hmm. virtue was really the the. Uh, and we don't teach any virtue today. In fact, we teach the absence of virtue. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. You know, and there's a couple of great essays in, in the book, exactly on that point. Pete Weiner has a great essay on that. That that was the original purpose, and and yet schools can't help but teach values, right? Because the kids are watching what we do, <laughs> not what we say, right? And so they are noticing how uh, the adults in the in the schools, for example, respond when kids misbehave. Well, kids are going to misbehave. They've misbehaved for you know two million years since uh, the birth of our species. That's what happens, right? How does the school respond? Right now, there's this popular notion that we shouldn't discipline kids. 
that's uh, the two show is is unfair, is mean, is even racist. Well, and and to do so makes us look bad because we we want to underreport any kind of disciplinary yes. measures because that will bring our numbers up so that we get better funding. So we're incentivizing exactly. schools yeah. to not discipline, and that is is in part what led to the Parkland shooting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I probably had uh, my friend Max Eden on about that. That this is uh, no, this is exactly right. That that you know. So instead, what we are doing is saying, well, let's have kids talk about the feelings, let's have them sit around in circles, and and talk about what happened. Well, kids are watching this, and they're saying, okay, so this school does not really value keeping me safe or value. Uh, learning and making sure that there's order in the school so that we can learn. What they are valuing is, you know, covering their butts or, you know, this, they're, they're all they care about are the kids who are misbehaving. They don't care about the peers. So these are the sorts of things that, you know, even if schools say, well, you know, we're public schools, we can't teach religion. So we really have to be careful about anything that's teaching morals or values. Uh, well, come on. Every, every decision that adults make in the school all day long is teaching some kind of value. The question is, which values do we want to be teaching? And, and are we living up to it? And are we, as you say, teaching virtue, uh, teaching young people that, look, first and foremost, we want you to be a member of this great democratic republic and a citizen. And that means that you've got to be ready to act with virtue in your own private life and in public life. Well, I mean, if we're going that far, why aren't we teaching civics? Yeah, absolutely. You know why, and, and you know why we're not teaching civics, inspiring. right? You know why. Well, you tell me. <laughs> I, I will, I, tell, I know. You. I will yeah. tell you. The reason we're not teaching civics is because our public education system is run by the government, and it is not in the government's yeah. interest to teach the citizens that the power resides in them. And that's why you have youth marching on Washington for gun control when the problem is a local problem with their school. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that and when we being, do teach... They're being encouraged. I don't know if you know this, but yeah. I think it's I think just recently in Maryland, they put they put together this idea that you could take a day off from school to go protest something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And, and you wonder what... Boy, I wonder what they're going to approve in terms of which protests the kids are allowed to go to. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that's right. Where I live, in fact. And, uh, and, and so here's the challenge. So schools say, well... So maybe we'll just try to avoid this stuff altogether because it'll get politicized. But you can't avoid it. You, you have to dig in. And what many of the essays in the book are saying is when, when it comes to teaching civics in U.S. history, for example, there's got to be balance. You know, of course, you, you can't, you know, get away from the great debates that have been going on in this country since its founding. We, we should engage young people in those great debates. But it can't be one-sided. You know, otherwise, then all we are doing is trying to brainwash them. And unfortunately, that is what it seems to be happening in a lot of places where, you know, the only U.S. history they get is let's talk about all the horrible things that have happened in our country. Let's talk about the oppression and the racism. Uh, you know, instead of warts and all, it's only the warts uh, rather than saying, hey, let's dig in and look at this from all sides and let kids decide, especially once they're older in high school, let's say, let them decide where they come down on these issues. Yeah. But that's not interesting yeah. for the educators who, uh, I mean, look, Marxism made a, made a nice long march through our educational institutions, our higher learning. And so now they've trained mm-hmm. the teachers and now the teachers are training the children. Yeah. The question is well, what and, to and do I, about it. And that's, that's what how to educate an American is there for. 
That's right. That's right. And if there's one message from the book, it says that here's the good news is that these decisions are still made locally in our system, how to teach history, right. what kind of character to teach. And so if people are concerned about it, what they can do is they can show up at their school board meeting. They can run for school. Board. They should they run can, for school board. Right. They yeah. can push back and ask these questions about how these things are happening in their local schools uh, and they can have a real impact on that. Right. And so, you know, because, yeah, go ahead. Well, because, you know, in, in a lot of conservative and libertarian circles, you know, the focus has been so much on school choice. And, and I support school choice. Everybody that writes in this book is a big supporter of school choice. But what we can't do is we're focused on, say, charter schools or private schools or home schools. We're going to let the left continue to run the traditional public schools. We did that with our universities, and we see what has happened. And we've got to take those public schools back. We've got to say, look. We've got to engage. We're not going to win every debate, but if we don't even show up at the school board meetings and ask them, hey, why are you assigning the Howard Zinn textbook for U.S. history and that's it, even though it presents this terrible one-sided uh, you know, perspective, then you know, what, the same thing that has happened in our universities is going to happen in our high schools, which is that they're going to, as you say, teach nothing but the, the hard left uh, perspective instead of something that's more balanced. Well, and the thing is, we're already seeing that we've got uh, we've got them teaching books that contain outright pornography, pornographic imagery in the in the books, in the poems, um, and we're not seeing conservative parents, or at least, well, let's say, good parents, <laughs> stepping up mm-hmm. in objection. Um, and even when they do step up in objection, I've told this story before, but I'll tell you: there's a, a uh, an eleventh grader who was assigned a pornographic poem. And the the publisher even removed some of the more profane words, and the teacher stood in front of the class and, and dictated what words to write in where the ellipses were. And the mm. father brought it up with the school board and asked for an apology. Didn't get an apology, got a letter, but it wasn't really an apology. The school board said, no, we, we do think that this is worthwhile to teach. And the young girl went back to school. And and I say yeah. at that point, okay, where's the parent in this? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. is is not? I mean, she actually admitted to me that she felt violated because she had now imagery in her head that she didn't feel prepared to be entertaining. Yeah, and yeah, and the terrible. father said, "Well, we let we let her make the decision." I'm sorry, she's 16. Are you not the parent anymore? Right. But we've been right. we've been educated out of parenting our children. That's how far this has gone. That's what people need to understand. The reason that you feel incapable is because you've been taught that you're incapable of educating a fourth grader. That's what you've been taught. And the sooner that we wake up and understand that we ourselves have been brainwashed by this system, the the sooner that we can sort of grab the, the bull by the horns and start educating our children ourselves... Or finding a better situation for them where the educators are, are pro-family, pro-virtue, pro-civics, pro-democracy, pro-America, for crying out loud, right? Right. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll be in a position to take our country back. I think it's, it's an astonishing thing that, uh, that we find ourselves today with our, our major educators, our major political figures admonishing us all to homeschool. I see it as a gift. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you certainly already hear uh, from parents saying, 
wow, I didn't realize how bad it had been in terms of what the schools were teaching or were not teaching. Right. You know, that how is it that my uh, fourth grader, when I mention the solar system, they look at me with a blank look that they haven't been taught. <laughs> but just as an example, I mean, there's so many, uh, this is, this is a real gift uh, if we use it right now. Um, you know, we also have to worry about some kids out there who may, for whom it may not be a gift, right? For whom uh, the parents just are not going to be able to give them what they need uh, educationally or otherwise during this time. Uh, and again, that's why all of us need to make sure that, uh, you know, even if we shift more to homeschooling, if we shift more to private schooling, uh, that for the kids that are getting educated in the public schools, even if they are not our kids, uh, that what they are getting is something that's going to prepare them to, uh, again, to be a strong citizens and that they're getting uh, an education that we can be proud of. And the question is, how do we do that? And that, that requires parents getting involved on school boards because we yep. still elect our school boards. Um, and yep. and the, the, the struggle with the charter school movement is there are plenty of charter schools who don't have elected school boards, and that's taxation without representation. Yeah. So I, I don't, yeah. and I don't have a solution for that. I know that there are some great charter schools out there, um, but they need to be accountable somehow. Yeah. Well, they, and they, and those charter schools in, in general, in most places are much more accountable than any other public school because they can actually get closed down if they're not, uh, if they're not achieving. And, and that does happen so right. all the time as well. It should be. Whereas in the traditional public school system, you know, right. failure just goes on and on and on and on. So how do people find how to educate an American? Well, probably right now, given that we're all at home, uh, the best way is to go online. Uh, it's certainly up on Amazon. They can also go to the publisher's website, Templeton Press, uh, and check it out. And someday when things are back to normal, you should be able to find it in your bookstore as well. Gotcha. It, that's, it's hard. It's hard coming out with a book in the middle of this, although this book is really, uh, I mean, Honestly, this might be a this might be a good thing for your book. I don't know, but um, yeah. uh, uh, I know that this this whole coronavirus thing is basically decimating the movie industry in a weird way mm-hmm. um, because it's it's going to change everybody's paradigm. I'm hoping that it has yeah. the same effect in education. I'm hoping that we've got parents out there who are realizing that uh, wow the schools just they're, they're just not that good i thought that they were better but maybe i can mm-hmm. do this thing maybe i can do better maybe i can find yeah. a co-op maybe i can sign my kid up for that that biology class that i heard that woman was teaching down the street you know mm-hmm. there are lots mm-hmm. of different ways to get to get it done how old are your kids uh they are 10 and 12 oh my gosh Two boys. perfect yeah. well listen yeah. if your if your wife needs any encouragement or you Go to samsorbo.com. I'm posting, um, or YouTube, actually. I'm doing um, encouraging videos to help empower parents in this journey. It's just not as difficult as the yeah. um, as the system wants you to believe because the system wants your money. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. if you hire a plumber to come and unclog your toilet when you could use a plunger, the plumber's going to tell you, you, you probably want to leave the room because this is very complicated. It's very difficult to do. And you're just not capable. And so you leave the room and the plumber takes literally your plunger, plunges the toilet and say, oh, phew. And then he, he sits around for a while because he doesn't want you to think that it didn't take as long as it took. Or, you know, that, it, that it, he doesn't want you to think that, right, that it was that easy. 
So he sits around mm-hmm. for a while, and then he comes out. And he says, "Well, that's an hour of my time. That's 150 bucks or whatever." Meanwhile, you could have just plunged the toilet. And I'm not likening teaching your children to plunging a toilet. That was a very <laughs> poor analogy. But my point is, it certainly isn't seven and a half hours a day. It certainly isn't. And the benefits right. are so phenomenal because now you get to spend time with your kids that you otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't have. So enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Go check out How to Educate an American uh, by Mike Petrelli. Uh, is it Petri- Petrilli? Petrilli. Am I saying that right? Petrilli. That's right. With Petrilli. your hand. With your hand. Over the radio. With, yes. with, with your good. hand, because it's Italian. <laughs> You're very nice. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks All for, right. thanks Thank for coming you, on. Okay. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye-bye. Stop. My phone is just so... I I have a new system, and I'm still getting used to it, because um, I'm realizing that it's actually wasn't quite hooked up the best way for uh, the system. But that's on me. Can't do anything about that. So go to my YouTube page, Sam Sorbo. And I'm trying to get the old channel down because somehow I managed to put two different channels up. But if you go to my fa- my uh, website, samsorbo.com, and click on those links, those video links, you can go check out the whole channel and all the videos that I've put together. I'm getting some really great uh, comments from people. I really appreciate that. Some great emails. You can email me at samsorbo.com. Um, I'm hoping that, that we will see a shift uh, with, a, with a lot of families. Maybe not all families, but, you know, I have Mason Weaver on the show occasionally. He calls the inner city schools gang prep centers. I don't know if it's better to send your child back into that system. I can't say. I can't say. That is a, that's a decision that a parent makes. But the one, thing, the one thing that I can say, the one hopeful thing that, that I see is that Ben Carson was, I, well, I don't think he was home educated. His mother took a stand, and even though she couldn't read, she insisted that he do book reports and turn them into her. She took a hand in his education as incapable as she was. She still understood that she could require things of her children that would keep them on the straight path. And I, th- I think that's what it's about. And then there's this article. Hold on, before I do that. Oh, um, yeah, don't, let's see. Hmm. Don't panic. So I said that the, the, the theme of this show was don't panic. And uh, we are looking for solutions, right? Um, I know that I come on after Brad Staggs in the morning on Mojo Five O. Um, it's not about panicking because there's no reason to be pessimistic. We will get through this. But this, this article off of the Washington Post I thought was really interesting. It says, don't panic about shopping, getting delivery, or accepting packages. The risk is low. Disease transmission from inanimate surfaces is real, but rather, and so this is not to minimize that. We've known this for a long time, as early as the 1500s. They thought of uh, surfaces, like infected surfaces, were thought of as seeds of disease, right? So yes, you can touch things that someone else has touched. You you don't leave uh, raw chicken on the kitchen counter without cleaning the kitchen counter afterwards very well, Right. But here's the thing. They say that um, the COVID-19 virus was detectable up to, th- up to four hours on copper 
up to 24 hours on cardboard and up to two or three days on plastic and stainless steel. Okay. Detectable is the key word there. All right. So, um, so if the virus can be detected on some surfaces, the reality is that the levels drop off quickly. So the article shows that the virus's half-life on stainless steel and plastic was 5.6 hours and 6.8 hours, okay, respectively. Half-life is how long it takes the viral concentration to decrease by half. And so the point is, it goes down faster than, than you think, and it's not as dangerous as you think. All right, that's it. That's my show for today. Thanks so much for listening to Sam Sorbo. On Mojo50.com. Now go have a great rest of your day.